As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. So what do these three people have in common? Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, and Christian Ronaldo. What do they have in common? They are the top three influencers on social media. Each one of them have nearly 500 million followers, combined 1.5 billion followers. But you don't need to have a blue verified check mark or have millions of followers on social media to be an influence. You are an influence. Whether you're here in this room or you're joining us right now online, you're an influence. Well, what does it mean to influence? Well, here's a definition for influence. It's the ability to affect the thinking and the actions of others. Well, how do we influence? Well, we influence with what we say and we influence with what we do. We influence with our words, right? We influence through encouragement, through affirmation, through sharing words of wisdom and insight, through sharing life lessons learned, through sharing God's word. We influence with our words. But we also influence with our actions and our example. Our example of faithfulness, our example of authenticity. Our example of kindness, our example of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That each person here, you are an influence. Whether you're a friend or a neighbor or a parent or a spouse or a student, you are an influence. A few weeks ago, I celebrated my 50th birthday. So if you are 50 years and older, you are an influence. If you are 50 years and younger, you're an influence. If you have any proximity to anyone, you're what? You're an influence. So the question here today isn't, are you an influence? But what's the question? What kind of influence are you? Are you stewarding your influence for God and for his purposes? Our everyday hero today is Esther. And Esther was empowered with influence to persuade. That Esther was empowered with influence and she used her influence to persuade a king to save the Jewish people. That Esther had that awe factor. That she was available, she was willing, and she was empowered by God. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Esther. One of two books in the Bible named after a woman. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at the book of Ruth and talked about Ruth's life. Today, we're going to be in the book of Esther. Uh, the book of Esther is an amazing story. It has all the elements of a summer blockbuster film from Hollywood. It's got drama. It's got suspense. It's got wealth and power and royalty. It's got plot twists and conspiracy. It's got a villain. It's got a hero. The story of Esther is an amazing one. And so let's first start with the cast of characters. First, we're going to see King Xerxes. Her, his Hebrew name is 
is King Ahasuerus, but we're going to refer to him as King Xerxes. That's his most common name in the Greek. He's the king of Persia. Now, Persia is a massive empire. The Persian empire back then spread all the way, get this, from India to Ethiopia. It had 127 providences. King Xerxes is the most powerful man on the planet in 465 BC. Character one, King Xerxes. Character two, Queen Vashti. She's the queen at least for half a chapter, as we're going to see before she's vanished from the palace. Haman is the villain in the story. He's the one that comes up with the sinister plot to kill all the Jews because his ego was hurt. Uh, Mordecai, Mordecai is a Jew who is living in Persia at this time. And he is raising his cousin who is an orphan. And our hero today is Esther. Esther is the girl that goes from being an orphan girl to being a queen for such a time as this. So the book of Esther is 10 chapters long. I hope that you packed a lunch today as we dig into the book of Esther. But seriously, we're going to do a survey of the life of Esther, and we're going to pull out five principles of influence. Who's with me? You with me? Here you are. You're here. It's 4th of July. You're in with me. So here we go. Uh, principle number one is this, is that godly influence establishes character. That Esther chapter one starts with a party, a party that rivals that of the drunkenness and debauchery of spring break in South Beach, Florida, or a bachelor party on the Vegas Strip or Fat Tuesday on Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Not that I have any experience with any of those settings, <laughs> but that's the kind of party that is going on. And it's not just a weekend binge. This party is, has lasted for six months and one week. This party involves all the A-list celebrities and dignitaries in Persia. All of the noblemen and all the governors of all these 127 providences have gathered together, and it's open bar. Notice what it says in verse 7. The drinks were served in the golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this verdict that there is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. So I think I'm stating the obvious when there's endless alcohol and unrestrained desires that it is not going to lead to godly influence. And so let's continue on in the story to see what happens. That on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine, so the king is drunk, he commanded those who are serving him uh, in the presence of the king to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs, and the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. 
So here's the king. He wants to bring out his trophy wife as a trophy for all to see to appease their sensual entertainment. But Queen Vashti, she has worth. She has dignity. She has self-respect. And Queen Vashti refuses to be objectified. And so the king becomes enraged. And his rage is fueled by alcohol. Anyone been around an angry, drunk person? That's the king. And in his anger, in his drunkenness, he kicks the queen out. He banishes her from the palace. Just like that, Queen Vashti is gone. But the king now needs a new queen. And so those who serve the king, the men who serve the king, come up with this idea, let's have a bachelor contest for the king long before the ABC hitch TV show, The Bachelor. And notice what they say to the king. We start in chapter two. After these things, when the anger of the king had abated, he remembered Vashti and what had been done and what he had decreed against her, that she was banished from the palace forever. And then the king's young men who attended to him said, let the beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the providence of the kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to be a harem in Susa, the citadel, in order under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of all these women in this harem, And let cosmetics be given to all these young, beautiful virgins. And yet the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So what carnal king who is fueled by his own sensual desires and looks, object, uh, looks as woman as objects would not like this idea. And so do you see what's going on here? That this isn't just like a beauty pageant. This isn't just like Miss Persia, year 465 BC. That if you're here like me, and you believe that every woman, every daughter, is created in the image of God. And that every woman deserves to be treated and looked at with dignity and respect and honor. That this part of the story should just make you sick. I share this with you because this is what scripture shares with us, but it helps you to see the perversion that's in the palace as well as the perversion that is in this Persian empire. But isn't it in the darkness that the light of godly influence shines most brightly? It's in the darkness that our character is developed. And this is the context in which we meet our hero, Esther. Let's continue to pick up the story Verse five of chapter two. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel. The citadel is kind of a capital. There were five capitals in Persia whose name was Mordecai. 
And he had been carried away from Jerusalem along with all the captives by Jehoiakai, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who um, had carried away. If you know anything about Jewish history and Old Testament history, in 586 BC that the Jews were taken from Judah into Babylonian captivity. They were there for 70 years. Many of them went back with Ezra and Nehemiah when they rebuilt the walls back in Judah. But some of those Jews remained in Persia. Mordecai was one who remained in Persia. Um, Our hero today, Esther, would have been born in Persia. This is all that she knew even as a Jewish girl in Persia. And so Mordecai was bringing up Hadassah, which is the Hebrew name for Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither a father nor a mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. So do you see what's already happened, the tragedy that's happened in Esther's life? She's lost her mother and her father. That she is being raised by her cousin. But even those challenging circumstances didn't hold her back. That it was not just her outer beauty, but it was her inner character that gained her favor. Notice the favor that she gets with the, with the king in verse 17. And the king loved Esther more than all the women, all the women. And she won the grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So that he set the royal crown on her and made her queen instead of Vashti. So think about all the obstacles that are in Esther's life. She was raised without the nurture of the love of a mother. She was raised without the protection of a father. She's being raised in this very sinful culture. Who would blame her if she doesn't have godly character, right? But she has godly character. Why does she have godly character? Because she has that awe factor that she was available and she was willing and she was empowered by God. Perhaps you're here today and you have a similar background. Maybe you grew up in a home without a mother or you grew up in a home without a father. Maybe you grew up in a home without a mother and a father. Perhaps you experienced death at an early age. Perhaps you face lots of other challenges in your life. Don't let those become excuses for not walking with the Lord. That God allows these challenging circumstances in our life to develop our character. And that's what he did in Esther's life. And that's what God wants to do in your life, despite the challenges that you have faced in your own life. And so if we're going to be godly people with influence... It begins with having godly character. And godly character then leads to humility, which is the second principle, is that godly influence embraces humility. Well, where do we see this in her life? Well, Esther goes from obviously being the orphan girl to being the queen. And in humility, uh, we see in uh, chapter four in Esther. 
And so let's pick up the story in verse one of chapter four. When Mordecai learned uh, all that had been done, now we need to understand what Mordecai is talking about here. We kind of skip chapter three. Chapter three is all about that villain. Remember his name? What's the villain's name? His name is? Haman. Haman in chapter three had been promoted to the chief of staff in the palace. And so the king ordered the the decree that everyone in the whole empire of Persia needs to bow down in honor of Haman. Well, Mordecai, the Jew, refused to bow down to Haman. So Haman has this inflated ego, but it is a very fragile ego. And so because Mordecai fails to bow to him, his ego is hurt. And because Mordecai is a Jew, then Haman decides to come up with this plot to eradicate all the Jews because he didn't like one Jew. And so Haman goes into the king and he says to the king that there is this unrest that's in the empire and it's a threat to your throne but he doesn't reveal that he's talking about the Jews to the king. And of course, the king wants to deal with this threat that's coming to the throne. He doesn't want an insurrection on his hand. And so he orders action to be taken against this hypothetical, fictitious threat to the throne. And so he orders this decree that it be done with, not knowing that in ordering the decree is the elimination, the killing of all the Jews in the Persian empire. And so in chapter four, when we read, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, that's what the reference is to. So notice how Mordecai responds. He tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. So he knows the Holocaust is coming for the Jewish people. So he rips his clothes, he tears them, he puts them on sackcloths. And he's visually and verbally wailing in the city courts. And so the queen hears about her cousin who has torn clothes and is wearing a sackcloth. And so in verse four, we see that she orders that clothes be given to Mordecai, but she doesn't understand what's going on. This would be like if you're on an airplane that's going down, a flight attendant's handing out peanuts to you, or your house is being burned down and the firefighter comes in to check to see if you have batteries in your smoke detector. That's not the issue right now. The issue is not Mordecai's clothing. The issue is what? The issue is the death sentence that has been given to the Jews. But Esther doesn't understand this. But Esther has humility to learn. That's what the verse says here. Let me read it to you. I didn't have it on the slide. This is verse five. Then Esther called uh, for one of the king's eunuchs and had him appointed and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So she goes to learn. So think about all that has already happened in this royalty when correction has come. The king kicks out the queen. That Haman orders the annihilation of all the Jewish people. 
But in contrast, instead of being full of pride, Esther has humility and she wants to learn. And that brings us to this quote that I love that we have on the screen now. When you are young, you know it all. But when you're old, you realize how much you didn't know when you knew it all. Is that not true? When you're young, you think you know it all. But when you're old, you realize how much you didn't know when you thought that you knew it all. Now, Camille and I, we've got three teenagers. They're all really good kids. But there is not one teenager who doesn't think that they don't know it all. Am I not right with that? And what can you teach a know-it-all? Nothing at all. Because a know-it-all knows it all and doesn't need to know anything more at all. Anyone know a know-it-all? Anyone married to a know-it-all? Anyone willing to admit that at times you can be a know-it-all? You see, it takes humility. It takes humility to say, I don't know it all. I remember when Camille and I were first married and we would like to hang out with like young couples who were like us. But I remember we made it a point to be around some older godly couples because we knew that it was important even as a newly married couple to be influenced by older couples. When we were young parents, we didn't just hang around young parents, but we sought out those who had been parenting in phases in front of us to learn from them. You see, if you're gonna grow in godly influence, you need to embrace the ability to be able to seek godly influence from others. And that's what someone who has humility is willing to sit under the godly influence of other people. Uh, here at High Point, the lifeblood of discipleship is growth groups. That in humility, we get out of rows that we're sitting in on Sunday morning and we get into circles. And we believe in mutual ministry in our growth groups. Uh, mutual ministry is simply this. Romans 1.12 says that your faith and my faith may be mutually encouraged as is mine. And we believe that we can learn from each other, not just learn from the leader, but learn from each other. I'm super excited about all that God is going to do in growth groups in the season that's ahead. There's a lot of momentum that's building even towards this fall. A brand new uh, Lead 101 is coming. If you want to grow in godly influence, sign up for Lead 101. Whether you're a leader, you're a group member, whether you want to just grow in your discipleship, be a part of Lead 101. Be a part of a group this year in humility, let's get out of rows and let's get into circles. J.C. Ryle says this, is that pride is the oldest and most common sin. Humility is the rarest and most beautiful of graces. May we not be filled with pride like the king and like Haman, but like Esther, may we have humility. Godly influence embraces humility. Principle number three is this, is that godly influence employs wisdom. Wisdom. So Mordecai reveals to Esther the sinister plot by Haman. And Mordecai pleads with Esther to use her influence to persuade the king to stop his edict. 
The problem with all of this is that what Mordecai is asking Esther to do is, could cost Esther her very own life because she can't go to the king uninvited even though she is the queen. And so notice what Mordecai says to Esther in verse 14. He says this, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If you have your Bible open, if you have a pen in your hand, underline those words for such a time as this. These words right here are going to turn Esther's world upside down. Now, you need to understand that in the book of Esther, there's 10 chapters. The name God is not mentioned explicitly in the book of Esther. But God is explicitly on every page in the book of Esther. And so basically what Mordecai is saying to Esther in this is he's saying to her that maybe you didn't plan from being, going from being an orphan to the palace to becoming a queen. Maybe you didn't choose that path. But what if you were chosen not by the king to be the queen, but what if you were chosen by God himself to be the queen for such a time as this? You see, Mordecai is appealing to Esther to help her to see with wisdom that God has placed her in the right position with the right power, the right influence, the right favor at the right time to make the right decision for such a time as this. What if Esther 4.14 were to be the lens by which you see your life? For God has placed me in my family for such a time as this. For God has placed me in my workplace for such a time as this. For God has placed me in my community for such a time as this. For God has placed me at High Point Church in this season for such a time as this. How would that change our thinking about relational conflict or about serving others or about sharing our faith or about modeling Christ? How would you fill in the blank? God has placed me blank for such a time as this. Are you available? Are you willing to be empowered by God? for such a time as this. So Esther has wisdom. She knows what she needs to do, but it's another thing to do it, right? It's not just having wisdom, but it's having courage. And that leads us to principle number four. Principle number four is this, is that godly influence 
exercises courage. Well, where do we see a courage in her life? Well, she's challenged to live for such a time as this, and now she needs to take some action. A courage is not just boldness. Courage is not just discernment. Think with me about this, that courage, uh, that uh, boldness without discernment is being crazy, right? There's a lot of people that are bold out there, but they don't have discernment, and what they're doing is stupid. That's not courage, that's crazy. But if you have discernment and you don't have boldness, you know what to do, but you don't have the willingness to do it, that's cowardice, right? But if you have discernment and boldness, that's courage. And Esther had discernment and boldness and she acted in courage. Notice what it says in verse 15 of chapter four. So right after the verse about such a time as this, this is what Esther, how Esther responded. She told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women uh, will also fast with you. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, do you get this? She's saying, if I perish, I perish. Wow, this is incredible. So she's challenged to live for such a time as this, and what does she first do? She first prays. She encourages others to pray. She counts the cost. But then she acts in courage. And how does she act in courage? Well, let's continue to pick up the story. Chapter five, verse one, and on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and she went to the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. Again, remember, if she comes unannounced, that could be her death sentence for herself. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, uh uh-oh, here's the music. If this is the Hollywood thing, you know, it's beginning, the drama is coming. What is going to happen? This is the suspense. And she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hands, that's a peace offering. And Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is it that you want? What's your request? And it shall be given to you even half of the kingdom. And so that's, and Esther said, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. So do you see her courage? She goes to the king unannounced, and then she wants to sit at the table with the very villain himself. I'm telling you, it takes courage. What is it that God is calling you to do in your life that's a step of faith that's going to require courage? might be walking away from an inappropriate conversation in the workplace. It might be standing up for the marginalized. It might be serving someone that is outside of your comfort zone. It might be engaging in a spiritual conversation with a neighbor. What is it for you that God is calling you to do? Well, that's scary. Yes, it is scary, but it requires courage. Are you willing? Are you available? If so, God will empower you 
with courage. Here's three truths about God. Just jot these things down real quickly. That God is with me. Deuteronomy 31, six says this, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them for this is the Lord your God who goes with you and he's not going to leave you or forsake you, that God is with you, that God is for you, that we know this, that God works all things together for good according to those who are called according to his purpose, that God is with you, that he's for you, that God has a plan for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. That God is with you, God is for you, that God has a plan for you. If you're willing, if you're available, God will empower you. God will empower you so that you can be a blessing to others. And that's what we see at the end here with Esther. So the stage is set. Do you see the stage? The stage is set that Haman is going to come to this dinner. Haman thinks the dinner is being thrown in his honor. But while they're at this dinner table, the hero is going to tell the king about the plot of the villain in the villain's presence. How amazing is this? So here we go, chapter seven. This is how the story ends. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine at the feast, the king said to Esther again, what's your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. So he's like, whatever you want, queen, whatever it is, let me know. You can even have up to half of Persia. And the queen answered, if I have found favor in your sight, if, if, I, if I have influence with you, might be another way to say that, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be granted for me my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. And if we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I wouldn't... I've been silent. I wouldn't have bothered you with this for our affliction is not compared to the loss of that of the king. And then King Xerxes said to the queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? Who dared to do this to you and to all the Jewish people? And Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen, and he should be. The story ends with Haman being hung on the gallows that he had constructed for Mordecai. That the king issued a decree that enabled Mordecai and Esther to write laws to protect the Jewish people, to allow the Jewish people to assemble that God protected and provided for the Jewish people because of the godly influence of Esther. To to this day, Jews celebrate the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim goes all the way back to this story that we're talking about. It's a feast for the Jews to remember how God used Esther's influence to save them as a people from the first Holocaust. So Esther, Esther had character. 
She had humility. She had wisdom. She had courage. And God used those things to be a blessing to the Jewish people. God used her influence to bless the entire Jewish nation. Why? Because she was available and she was willing. Therefore, she was empowered by God. What about you? Are you available? Are you willing to be empowered by God? Are you willing to allow your influence that God has given to you as a friend, as a neighbor, as a spouse, as a parent, as a student, young, old, has God convicted you of the need to use your influence for him and for his purposes? May each one of us grow in our character, in our humility, in our wisdom, in our courage, so that we can be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. We thank you for how you work through your people when we're available, when we're willing. And so God, I pray for each one of us that even this week that we would take steps of faith, that we would live with courage, that we would do the thing that you have called us to. And God, we know that we can't do this in our own strength. And so God, we're dependent upon you. And so God, it's our desire here in this place. It's our desire to build our life upon you. It's our desire to live for you. It's our desire to show others your love. And so God, empower us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.